Well, good morning and welcome again to Great Oaks. If we haven't met, my name is Paul. I'm the discipleship pastor here. And just to get us started a little bit, I just want to do a little poll if we can. So who in the room is a big fan of board games? You like gathering with family, sitting around a dining room table, playing some games, some of you. Who actually hates board games, thinks it's an absolute worst of time, waste of time? Anybody? Doesn't like them? Okay. How many of you love board games, but you're not allowed to play them with people you love because someone might die? Anybody? A couple of you, some competitive ones in here? All right. Uh, last question. Uh, maybe you don't like board games. Who likes to play a good video game every once in a while? A few of you in this room as well. All right. Well, if you like games, you're going to love the next five weeks here at Great Oaks uh, because we are starting a brand new series this morning we're calling The Games We Play. We're actually talking about taking some of our favorite video and board games and talking about how those games actually speak to who we are as people and how the games we love to play actually say a lot about how we interact in the world and how ultimately we interact with God. So our hope for this series is that we're going to have some fun together. It is summer, uh, so we wanted to do a series that was a little bit more uh, light and a little bit more fun. Uh, but we also hope that this series is challenging to us as well. And here's what we hope is really challenging, because even though we're having fun, we're talking about games uh, that we play, like board games and video games, the truth of the matter is that we play games in real life. Games such as, you know, maybe holding on to anger, or games where we maybe not give a, a real forgiveness, or, or games where we're building our own kingdoms. And those games that we play in real life often sap our joy. They keep us away from the relationship that God would have for us and maybe even destroy relationships that we have with one another. So that's what we're going to be over the next five weeks. Now, I get the privilege this morning, and this was not my idea to be talking about. This was Chase's idea, so if, if you have a problem, this is Chase, right? So in this series, I get the privilege of starting us off talking about the game of Minecraft. And some of you in the room, when I say Minecraft, you're like, I have no idea what Minecraft is. Uh, and so if that's you this morning, don't worry, I'm going to explain it a little bit. If you've got maybe a little ones in your room or maybe some teens in your house, you know what Minecraft is. You've seen your kids play it. Um, so I'm going to take a moment just a little bit and explain to those of us in the room who have no idea what Minecraft is, what exactly that game is. And just to let you know, in order to do research on this, I did reach out to some experts. In my house, I reached out to two experts specifically, my 19-year-old son Joshua and my 14-year-old son Micaiah, uh, who played this game quite a bit growing up. And so I spoke with them quite a bit about the game. I've seen them play it numerous times. I actually have never played it myself, uh, but I did do some research on the game. And so let's just talk a little bit about the game of Minecraft. First thing about Minecraft you need to know is this. It is the most popular video game of all time. It has been downloaded more than 200 million times, making it, again, the most popular video game ever. And it's actually pretty rudimentary. It has some very rudimentary graphics like this. Uh, so there's a picture behind of some of the ore, some of the blocks. There you go. And so basically in the game, the basic gameplay is you're mining for these different kinds of blocks. And each of those blocks represents something different, like uh, it might be wood or ore or metal. And basically you're mining for those, those items, those elements, and then you use those elements to build things in Minecraft. And if you've been uh, online or you've seen Minecraft, people build some really incredible things in this game. For example, I was looking this week and, and I, I pop, this popped up. So this is a picture of someone building in Minecraft Middle Earth from Lord of the Rings. And this was built, now if you were to zoom in really close, block by block by block. Those little square blocks over and over to build that. So that would have spent hundreds of hours building that thing. But that's what people build in Minecraft. Now, 
in gameplay, so that's kind of what it's about, but what do you actually do in the game? Like, what is the goal of the game? Well, the game has two basic modes. The first is what's called survival mode, where you're trying to avoid being destroyed by characters. Characters like, for example, skeletons, like this guy. Um, or there might be a spider, a creepy crawly guy like that, that might get you. Uh, or there's this, this character called Creepers. Creepers are actually kind of my favorite. Creepers just kind of appear out of nowhere. And then basically what they do is they explode. And when they explode, they kill you as well. And so that's what a creeper it is. And then there's also this character uh, who's called the Ender Dragon. And if you beat the Ender Dragon at the end of the game, then you kind of win. And there's a big scroll of like, hey, you did it. Uh, so that's kind of the, the characters in the game. And so in, in survival mode, you're trying to avoid those characters. Now, there's also a creative mode. And in creative mode, you have those same characters show up, but they can't destroy you. And in creative mode, you have unlimited resources where people just build things. This is the mode my kids played in most, where they would build their own houses and creations, and they would spend their time there. And I was actually talking to my wife, Stephanie, about this this week, and I forgot this part, but when they were little... Each of my kids, all three of them actually, had different uh, iPads, and they would uh, be on Minecraft at the same time. And one of the things my kids learned was that if they were on shared Wi-Fi, they could enter each other's worlds and, and, and wreak havoc. And so oftentimes they would be playing the game, and before you know it, all of a sudden it's like, hey, get out of my house! You're destroying it, right? And they would be messing with each other in Minecraft. And so anyway, they spent most of their time in this creative mode where they were building these great things. Now... You might be thinking, okay, that's great. That's what Minecraft is about. What does this have to do with God, about Jesus, about my life? Like, what does this have to do? Well, so what I want to do is I want to turn to the passage in the New Testament where Jesus actually talks about the game of Minecraft. It's, no, it's not there. Word Minecraft not found in the Bible. But as I mentioned, the games that we play actually point to the real games in life that we often do play. And so in Minecraft, we could talk about the game we play of building our own kingdoms. We could talk about the, the game we play of running from, um, you know, or maybe the game of, of destroying our enemies it could be a game we could talk about. However, when I think about the game of Minecraft and the pull of that game, the game I think it speaks to most so that we play in real life is the game of running from reality. The game of running from reality. You see, what makes Minecraft so compelling is not its amazing graphics, because it doesn't have them, or great gameplay, because it doesn't have that either. What makes Minecraft so compelling is that when you're playing, you can enter this other world that is just endless. What makes Minecraft so unique is that there's this incredible online community that creates these things called mods. And with mods, uh, countless people can add onto the game, and so the game becomes literally endless. There's always more to explore, landscapes to open, other places to see. And what happens is that people get sucked into this other world, a fantasy world where they can create what they want to create, where they can just run from the issues of this world and, and live in a world of their own creation. Now, you might be sitting here this morning and say, well, listen, I, I get that. I know that some people get sucked into those kind of worlds, but I don't play hundreds of hours of video games trying to ha- hide in a fantasy world where I can avoid my problems. But the truth of the matter is that all of us at times try to run to other things to numb the pain of life. We might do this with video games. We might do it with binge-watching Netflix or scrolling Facebook endlessly or using alcohol or drugs. We might do it with sex or food. We might do it with things like exercise or shopping or, or lawn work. 
The truth of the matter is we all run from reality at times into harder, when things get hard into other things. Life gets hard. We all have things that come up that are difficult. And I would love to tell you that Jesus promised us that life wouldn't be hard, but actually he promised the opposite. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says this, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Jesus promised that he would overcome this world. But he didn't promise that we would be free of pain and and trial and sorrow. In fact, he promised the opposite. In this world, we will have difficulty. We live in a broken world. And so there's times where skeletons are going to come out of the closet. Things that scare us. Maybe things in our past that we've tried to bury down that we just don't want to deal with. Or creepers show up unexpectedly in the form of a sudden illness or the death of a loved one. A lost job, a financial hardship. or That person who's just cruel to us. Or sometimes we have to face a a dreaded ender dragon, a beast so large, something so terrible, we don't even know how to begin to tackle it. It might be an addiction that we can't overcome, anger we can't seem to control, marriage that is falling apart. And when those things happen, some of us live in survival mode. We live in fear of the things that might destroy us, and we just kind of hunker down and, and never move, and we bury our heads in the sand. Others of us, when that happens, live in a creative mode where we just work to build the world that that feels safe to us. But in both cases, we are faced with a choice. We can hit reality head on and deal with the problems in front of us, or we can run away. Run into a fantasy world, run away from uh, reality into a world that we create. This game that we play reminds me of a kind of famous Bible character a guy who who experienced troubles and chose to run away from them. He runs away from his mission from God. He heads in another direction only to have God pull him back into reality. And you know, I'm not talking about the prophet Jonah who we just spent four weeks talking about. I'm talking about another prophet, a guy by the name of Elijah. And I think Elijah's story has a ton to tell us about when we feel tempted to run from reality and hide. So if you would, would you turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19? Um, that's where we're going to camp out this morning, and we're going to pick it up in verse 1. If you've got a, a Bible, so 1 Kings 19, it's kind of midway through the Old Testament. Otherwise, the words will be up on the screen. But before we read it, let me just pray. Lord God, I pray that you would be with us now as we explore this text. And God, that you would speak to us. That the words I communicate, Lord, would not be from me, but from you. And may you be worshipped and glorified in our lives, changed and transformed as we explore this story. In Jesus' name, amen. So, 1 Kings 19, verse 1. It starts off and it says this. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I've not killed you just as you killed them. So I want to stop at this point in the story, just kind of get you up to speed. So if you're not familiar with the story of Elijah, Ahab is the king of Israel during a time when uh, Israel's kingdom was actually divided into Israel and Judah. And Ahab married this woman, a woman named Jezebel. And Jezebel turns his heart away from God. And Ahab then and the nation of Israel begin worshiping a false god, false gods actually, of called Baal. 
Now, in chapter 18, there's this great scene where Elijah and the prophets of Baal basically play a game. Uh, Elijah looks at the prophets of Baal. There's 450 of them, actually. And he says, you know what? You think your, pro- your God, the God of Baal, is much more powerful than the God of Israel. So let's do a little contest. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to set up pi- two piles of wood. And we're going to put a bull on each pile of wood. And then God's uh, prophets of Baal, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray to your God that fire would come down and burn up that bull. And then I'm going to do the exact same. And the prophets of Baal are like, that's a great idea. So they start praying and nothing happens. And and so then they start praying even some more and they start cutting themselves and they start running around this this, uh, pit of, uh, of wood and they're going crazy. And again, nothing happens. Now Elijah, he's a little bit bold. So Elijah looks at these prophets of Baal and he looks at them and says, hey, I know what's happening. Your God, he, he's just, he can't hear you. So you need to yell louder. So they, they yell louder. And again, nothing happens. Oh, I know what it is. He's going to the bathroom. He's actually relieving himself. That's what the text actually says. And again, prophet uh, Baal does nothing. And then finally he says, he says, oh, I know he's on vacation. And again, nothing happens. So now it's Elijah's turn. So Elijah gets up and he, and he wants to make sure that this is just not a parlor game. And so he takes this pile of wood and he says, hey, guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to douse this wood in water. And so they pour a ton of water onto this pile of wood. And then Elijah prays to God. And as he prays to God, fire comes down from heaven and it burns up the bull. And the fire is so hot it actually dries up all the water as well. All the water that's on the ground is all gone. The people witnessed this and they bowed down to the God of Israel, the true and one God. And then Elijah kills all the prophets of Baal. Now there's another part of the story that you also need to know. During this time in Israel's history, there was also a great drought that was happening. And so Elijah goes and he goes to the top of a mountain, Mount Carmel. And he prays again. And this time he prays for rain to come. And God just, there's just a downpour of water and the drought is over. And then in 1 Kings 18, 46, it says this. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. Another translation says that God anointed Elijah. So in 19 chapter, one, verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 1, Ahab tells his wife this news. And Jezebel reacts and says, I'm going to kill you, Elijah, for what you've done. Now this is Elijah. I mean, Elijah has prayed and fire comes down from heaven. Uh, Elijah prays and rain comes and the drought is over. I mean, the Lord has given special strength to Elijah. God has anointed Elijah. This is a super prophet. And so, of course, Elijah responds with great faith. He looks at Jezebel and says, bring it. I got God on my side. I can pray. Fire comes down from heaven. Bring it. We see Elijah respond in verse 3. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day, and he sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. What? Elijah's afraid, and he flees for his life. He runs like Jonah. He runs south to Beersheba, leaves his servant, keeps running into the wilderness, into the desert. He sits under a broom tree. Elijah's in complete despair. 
Lord, life is just too hard. This is too challenging. I, I can't handle this anymore. Would you just take my life from me? I can't handle any more creepers or skeletons or ender dragons. I am just done. Anyone ever felt like that before? Maybe you came into this room this morning and this is how you feel. God, I, I'm at my end. I got nothing left. I know you've done some amazing stuff in my life before, but I'm exhausted, and the best I got is to run from my problems. So I'm just running in despair. I'm just going to hide out in this video game. I'm just going to watch another episode. I'm just going to scroll on Facebook for another hour. I'm just going to read another book. I'm just going to look at this thing online I shouldn't have. I'm just going to take another drink. Let me just hide in this fantasy world away from my problems because, Lord, I'm scared. And I'm exhausted. This is just too hard. And before you know it, you're spiraling out of control and you're sitting under a broom tree in the desert wanting to die. Well, if this is you, if this is the game that you're playing, there is hope for you today because there's hope for Elijah. So with our remaining time, what I want to do is I want to explore the rest of Elijah's story and how God gets him to face reality. And I think there's four things that God does for Elijah and four ways that we can respond to God when we're facing the same things. And the first thing we learn from Elijah's story is this, is that we have to learn to accept God's provision. We need to learn to accept God's provision. In verse 5, it reads, Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones in a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Listen, I love God's word, and I love this part of Elijah's story. Elijah is at his end, and what does God do? God comes on the scene and gives him a nap and some food. See, I think part of Elijah's problem is that he was angry. He was tired, he was hungry, and he was angry. And I don't know if that's a thing, maybe I just invented it. But God gives him a nap and some food. Listen, sometimes you and I, what we need most when trouble comes is some rest and some sustenance. Now, I'm not saying that we need to stay in bed all day or eat till we get sick. But sometimes that's what we need. We just need to be taken care of. And that's what God does for Elijah. When, God gets, when life gets hard, we need to accept God's provision for us. We need to accept God's compassion for us. God could have come to Elijah and looked at him and said a moment and said, Elijah, what are you doing? Like, get out of here. Like, beat him up on all that stuff. But in, in, no, God comes to Elijah in compassion and provides for all his needs. You know, I'm reminded of Psalm 23. You know this passage. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies. Did you see those two points? He makes us lie down. 
and he prepares a table, a feast. Some of us in this room need to learn to accept God's provision. Maybe God has been telling you it's time to rest. Life has been full of problem after problem and you're just running and running and running and God's just saying, just be at peace. Take a nap. Maybe, maybe God has been trying to provide a friend for you to walk with you through hard times and you've been keeping that friend at arm's distance. Maybe God's been trying to provide community for you in a life group and you've refused to sign up for that. We need to learn to accept God's good provisions and compassion to us in those moments that we feel like we're walking in a dark valley. You know, for me, it's not so much accepting God's provision, but it's remembering God's provision for me in the past. You know, I get forgetful oftentimes. And there's times in my life where where hard things pop up, creepers pop up in my life, and I forget what God has done for me in the past. And all of a sudden, I start running to things that are just fantasy land. I forget, for example, that there's been times where God has provided for me when we didn't know how we'd pay the bills. And then all of a sudden, money gets tight again, and I'm like, oh, I forget that God did that in the past. Or maybe that time when, when I was, I'm feeling lonely right now and then I forget that God provided that friend in a time of loneliness and now that, that friend provided empathy who could identify with what I was going through. Or when I was at my lowest and thought I would never be in ministry again, how God provided uh, a job making mochas where God restored my confidence. And above all, I, I, I forget that when I'm in a moment of despair, I remember that God gave me the greatest provision of all, the bread of life. One of the things I love about the Bible is how the Old Testament points to the New Testament. Notice in the story that that Elijah is given bread. And I'm remembered about John 6.32 where Jesus says, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, my father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And I forget that in Jesus I have a Savior that identifies with all of my issues. He feels what I feel, has been hungry and lonely, and felt the weight of my sin. And I forget that, yes, Jesus promised in this world I'd have trouble, but I forget that he also overcame those troubles and overcomes the world. Listen, I don't... I don't know if this is for someone in the room right now, but if you're tired of playing the game of running from reality, maybe it's time to accept God's compassion and provision for you in his son that he sent on his cross to die and to rise again so that you and I don't need to hide from our problems anymore, that we can face our problems head on with the power that Jesus provides. So the first thing we need to do is accept God's provision. second thing we need to do is we need to listen for God's voice. Pick up the story in verse 9. In verse 9, he says, There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets, and I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, The Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. 
but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied again, I'm zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down the altars and killed every one of your prophets, and I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Something really cool in this part of the story. The New Living Translation, which what I'm reading today, says that Elijah went to a mountain called Mount Sinai. Other translations translate it as Mount Horeb. Now, both scholar, most scholars believe that this is the exact same mountain. Now, if you know your Bible, Mount Horeb is the place where Moses encounters a burning bush, encounters God in fire. Mount Sinai is where Moses receives the Ten Commandments, and afterwards there's an earthquake. This is a special place where the presence of the Lord is known, where God shows his face to people. And this is where Elijah is now, in a cave. And notice the passage says that there's a windstorm and an earthquake and a fire, but the Lord was not in those things. Sometimes I think we want God to show up in really big, amazing, miraculous ways. We want God to show up in the miracle. But how does God show up to Elijah? In verse 12 it says there was a fire, and after that there was a sound of a gentle whisper. I was listening to a message on this passage this week and the pastor said something interesting about a whisper. He said that in order to hear a whisper, you need to be really close to the speaker. I think God could have shown up in the fire or in the earthquake or in the windstorm. But Elijah already experienced God's power. I mean, Elijah prayed and fire came down from heaven. He already seen God do the miraculous. What Elijah needed in that moment was to experience God's closeness. So God shows up in a whisper. And he looks at Elijah and he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah, what are you doing here? It's this moment of like God's presence and saying, Elijah, this is not the best place I have for you. It's a moment of compassion. It's like, Elijah, there's something better for you. Let me ask us, when we're running from real life, when we're running into a fantasy world, are we able to hear God's voice? Are we quiet enough to be able to hear his whisper? Or are you just expecting God to show up with a two-by-four and hit you upside the head? Maybe sometimes when life gets hard, we need to learn to put down our cell phones our tablets. Maybe we need to stop being busy running the kids everywhere, the busyness of the emails and the meetings, and just learn to listen for the quiet voice of God. And let God ask you, what are you doing here? Because in that moment, God is trying to get close to us. In sermon team this week, we, we run sermons on Thursday and we kind of run through everything together and one of the people in the sermon team, it was Nicole, said to me, she's like, what's interesting about this is like when I'm trying to get my husband's attention, I can yell across the room and sometimes he ignores me. But if I go up to him and whisper in his ear, he hears me right away. So we have to learn to listen for God's voice. Third one is this, is we need to believe God's truth. In verse 13, it says, When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the cloak, went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. 
And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. And I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Notice this phrase, Elijah actually says twice in our passage. He says the same thing to God twice. Here's the interesting thing about what Elijah is saying, though. It's a lie. Elijah is believing a lie. Because in verse 18, at the end of the passage, God says this, Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. God says, listen, Elijah, I know you feel like you're the only one left that you're all alone, that all hope is lost. But listen, there are 7,000 righteous people in Israel who have not turned away. The truth is, Elijah, you are not alone. But you're believing a lie. And the lie you're believing is causing you to run away from the issues that are happening in your life. You're running from reality because you're believing a lie. And you know what? We do the exact same thing. Oftentimes we run from reality because we believe lies and we don't rest in the truth that God has for us. For example, when I believe that I'm the only person dealing with something, I forget God's word in 1 Corinthians 10 that talks about the temptations in your life are no different than others' experience. Or when I'm forgetting that that God will provide, I believe the lie that we're not going to come through, Matthew 6, and if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Or, or oftentimes I start believing the lie, right? And I build my life on other things and I forget what our kids learned at cross-training last week in Matthew 7, where it says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is, a wise, is, it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand And when the rains and the floods and the creepers and the ender dragons come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse like a mighty crash. We forget to put our trust in God's word. And so we believe lies. And when I do that, all of a sudden what ends up happening is I I forget what God's doing. And before I know it, I'm heading in a direction I don't need to be going. You know, for a moment of confession here, I have the Bible app on my phone and and I try to read something in the Bible every single day. Every morning I wake up and it's one of the first things I look at. And the Bible app has this wonderful thing called streaks where you can turn it on and it tracks how many days in a row you've been on the Bible app. And, and I, I'm kind of humble break. I'm a little proud of my streaks right now. <laughs> but I'll tell you something. There's lots of days where I'll pick up that Bible app, I'll read the verse. Fifteen minutes later, I've completely forgotten what I read. I moved on to the news or Facebook or whatever it might be. I might be reading the word, but am I applying it? Am I building my life on it? We've got to do a good job of of believing God's truth. And see, what happens when I don't do that, again, I end up going in another direction. I end up walking into fantasy worlds. I end up avoiding reality because I've built my house on things that are not built on solid ground. So that's the third one, listen to God's truth, or believe God's truth. The fourth one is this, live God's mission. And in verse 15, the passage closes, Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came. Travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Haziel to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel, Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. 
Anyone who escapes from Haziel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. In verse 15, God looks at Elijah and says, Go back. Go back the way you came. Go back to reality. I want you to anoint some people because here's the thing, Elijah. I'm not done with you yet. Go back, Elijah, because I have a mission for you. Go back, Elijah, because you have a legacy to fulfill. You will anoint Haziel. And Haziel is an evil king, but he's going to bring judgment upon Israel. But then after that, you're going to anoint this guy named Jehu, and he's going to be a good king, and he's going to return the people back to God. And then you're going to anoint Elisha, and he's going to follow in your footsteps. And after them will come 7,000 to be exact, who are not going to turn away from the Lord. And from them will be a remnant. And from that remnant will come Jesus. And through Jesus, the entire world is going to be turned upside down. But Elijah, here's the thing. I've got a plan for your life. So you need to go back to reality. You need to go back to the will I have for you because I am not done with you yet. Get out of that fantasy world. Stop running. I've got a mission for you. Listen, I've made a lot this morning of this idea of running, into, running from reality, running into fantasy worlds. And I'm not saying that Minecraft is evil or Facebook or Netflix. God does ask us to rest and recreate, and some of those things can be really helpful to do those types of things. And some of you are asking, okay, but, but boy, I need, I need a line. Give me the black and white. Like, how much is too much? Like, should I just void at all costs? Like, what, what's the line? I'm not going to give you the line. I'm just going to give you a question. And it's the same question that God asks Elijah. Elijah, what are you doing here? The question we have to ask ourselves is when we're feeling tempted to run into fantasy world, we have to ask ourselves the question, what am I doing here? Am I just recreating? Am I just kind of relaxing? Or am I avoiding something? Am I running from the mission that God has for me? Am I running from that problem that I don't want to face because it seems too large? Or am I just kind of chilling out for a moment? If the question and the answer is like, I'm just trying to running, maybe it's too much. Maybe you need to put that video game away. Put down the phone. Put down the book. And go back into what God has for you. You know, one of the things I love about the game of Minecraft is there's something about it that actually speaks to who we are as people. It speaks to us of who we are uh, as followers of Jesus. See, one of the cool things about Minecraft is you get to build these amazing things. And you and I were actually designed, we were created to build We were created to create. I'm reminded of the passions in Ephesians 2.10 where the Apostle Paul says, for we are God's masterpiece. And he has created us anew in Christ Jesus for what purpose? So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago to do. God says, you are a masterpiece. You are are a beautiful tapestry, a beautiful portrait. But you you have a purpose. You have a mission. And our mission is to go and make much of Jesus and make much of God. And you know, one of the ways that we make much of God is that when life gets hard, when difficulties come, when the creepers and the skeletons and the ender dragons come, our response to how we respond to that points other people to Jesus. When we respond in faith, when we respond and accept God's provisions for us, when we accept and hear God's whisper to us, when we respond and and build our lives on God's truth and God's word, it points other people to Jesus and how much Jesus is needed to overcome the challenges in this world. You have a purpose, you have, you have a mission to go into this world and tell many people about Jesus. 
So don't avoid the reality of our lives, that that's your purpose. Don't run into a fantasy world. Live on mission for him. So let's stop playing the game of running from reality. Let's go and build something that will last longer than us. Let's build his church as we show countless people how to respond to the creepers, the skeletons, and the ender draggers, and ender dragons. That we will face reality knowing that God will provide, that he'll speak, and his truth never fails. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the story of Elijah. And God, how even though he was a super prophet, this man who had experienced amazing things, praying and fire coming down from heaven, praying and droughts being ended, still was a man who struggled, who had moments of being afraid, who ran away from his mission. And I thank you for that story because it gives us hope because, Lord, we are like Elijah at times. We do the exact same things. We get afraid. Life gets too hard. There's too many difficulties there's, there's creepers that come up and there's things that, that just really hinder our faith. And so, Lord, we just ask, God, that you would strengthen us, that your spirit would come and pour out on us. And so, Lord, that you would help us come out of that fantasy world and live in reality. God, I pray that we would accept the good grace that you have for us, that we would accept the loving kindness you gave to us when you sent your son to die and to rise again. And God, I pray that you would help us to hear your whisper, to hear your voice, and then we would put our, our trust in your truth and not believe the lies of this world. And then God, put us out on mission. Give us a purpose beyond ourselves. God, we need you. We need you. Thank you for meeting us in this place this morning and giving us your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.